Hello and welcome to edition number 1912 of the Whitney Talking News, which we're recording at the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday the 12th of May. Uh, beside me at the recording controls we have Graham Diacon, and this week we have items from the Whitney Gazette, the Ch- uh, Chipping Norton News and the Countryman. Our readers this evening are Barbara Barringer, John Ashwell, Jill Breakspear and Byron Russell. And so if we have our first story about an old favourite of um, Whitney Talking News, and we, where would we be without him? Jeremy Clarkson. And this will be read by Barbara. Yes. Clarkson's plans to extend Diddley Squats car park fail. Jeremy Clarkson's plans to cut traffic problems at his Diddley Squat farm shop by building a bigger car park have been refused. The proposals would have seen the number of spaces at his shop in Chadlington, near Chipping Norton, jump from 10 to 70, with four disabled spaces and cycle parking all marked out with straw bales. New entry and exit points would have been installed off Chipping Norton Road and a storage compound built. Mr Clarkson had divided locals with around 30 objections and a similar number in favour on West Oxfordshire District Council's planning site. The application was refused on Friday. The council's development manager, Abby Fetters, said, My reason... By reason of its location, size and design, the proposed development would not be sustainable and would not be compatible or consistent in scale with the existing farming business or its open countryside location. It would have a visually intrusive and harmful impact on the rural character, scenic beauty and tranquillity of the Cotswolds area of outstanding natural beauty and Witchwood project area. In January, Mr Clarkson was refused permission to convert his lambing shed into a 60-seat restaurant cafe and a car park with 70 spaces. The broadcaster had seemed confident that the latest application would be approved when he tweeted a screenshot of a list of support comments to a national newspaper which published a story saying he was locked in a bitter row with locals over the plans. Some support comments praised them as a way to stop visitors parking on nearby roads and accused opponents of being motivated by jealousy. But critics refer to traffic chaos and say the Grand Tour presenter is creating a Jeremy Clarkson theme park. Planning documents said there was not sufficient parking space to deal with the number of visitors to the shop and the proposals aimed to reduce congestion and visitors parking on the road. There would be an asphalted entrance and separate exit, a fenced paddock screened from the road by a new hedgerow and wildflower margins. Chadlington Parish Council objected to the application saying It would remove some, but not all, vehicles from the road given the visitor numbers experienced and would not reduce the current number of vehicle movements in the area, which is a safety concern. 
Last June, the police were called to manage the the crowds of cars on the roads after word got out that the former Top Gear presenter was at his farm shop. Thames Valley Police's Crime Prevention Design Advisor, Kevin Cox, said the applicants must provide details of what would be done to control parking at busy times to stop safety issues and disruption, and a subsequent demand on police resourcing as seen previously. However, those in favour said parking facilities for the shop were much needed and would ease pressure on the road. Following that, we have two other riveting stories about the election which has been rumbling on last week. And the first of these about the Tories losing their seats is being read by John. Indeed. Tories lose control after 22 years. The Tories have lost control of West Oxfordshire for the first time in 22 years, with a long-serving deputy leader among the high-profile casualties. The Conservative Party previously held 27 of the 49 seats, but in the early hours of Friday, two Cabinet members lost their seats to Labour and Liberal Democratic candidates. The West Oxfordshire Council Deputy Leader David Harvey, a member of the Council since 1998, was one of the two Conservative Cabinet members to lose their seats, as Whitney South went to Labour's Ruth Smith by 69 votes. The deposed deputy believes the public have become very weary with politics, but stopped short of blaming Boris Johnson for his defeat. The the Cabinet Member for Housing and Communities, Merrill Davis, also lost by 131 votes to Liberal Democrat Lydia Arkazuska. The Tories lost seven of the 11 seats they were contesting. Five went to the Liberal Democrats and one each to Labour and the Green Party, with no gains, losing control of the council for the first time in more than 20 years. The shift means that Lib Dems, Labour and the Green Party are set to form a majority much like the Fair Deal Alliance put together at Oxfordshire County Council last year. They now have 26 of the council's 49 seats between them. Mr Harvey referred to a number of different factors. Certainly I am sorry that I won't be carrying forward the climate change agenda on the District Council, he said. After nearly a quarter of a century on the District Council, I think we have achieved a huge amount. Asked what those factors were, Mr Harvey replied, the size of the turnout. I think there was possibly a certain disaffection with the election system. There was much talk about what impact Partygate and the state of national politics would have in the build-up to polling, particularly for the Conservatives. I think the PM is in a very difficult position, he said. I think his leadership on the question of Ukraine has been outstanding. As far as the other issues are concerned, I think they may have been reflected in the results. The Tories dropped from 27 seats to 20 overall, with the Lib Dems moving from 10 to 15. (coughs) Labour has nine, the Greens have two, and there are three independent councillors, none of whom were involved in this year's elections in West Oxfordshire. And carrying on that theme, uh, Jill is going to read a story about listening to voters. Listening to voters, a priority of new bosses. 
A new political era is beginning in West Oxfordshire after the Conservatives lost control of the District Council after 22 years in power. The Council passed into no overall control after last week's election, with the Liberal Democrats agreeing to form an executive with Labour and the Greens. Liberal Democrat Andy Graham is expected to be confirmed as the leader and this week said parties were cooperating to form a new administration. He said, There is a strong political will there and we're now in the process of negotiations. The intention is not to draw it out so we can get on with the job. He said the new leadership will prioritise climate change, pollution, providing affordable and social housing and delivering acceptable levels of service to residents. He said, There are big decisions to be made, not least that the Tories have not done enough about the housing land supply. We will work in Oxfordshire to deliver what residents have called for and you will hold us to account. He said voters liked the Lib Dems' green travel and public transport policies, including the potential for rail to Oxford from Whitney and Carterton. A priority would be to create more two- and three-bedroom homes, rather than bigger ones, as most voters were concerned housing developments were without regard to the existing settlement. He said, people have realised that the Tory obsession with keeping council tax low has led to backlogs of planning applications and a failure to deliver services. There is a recognition that once you have cut out all the waste, any additional costs mean people will suffer. The authority has come under fire for radical transport policies, including the closing of Whitney High Street, anti-car measures in Oxford and introducing charges for parking in Woodstock. However, Mr Graham has said he wants any new administration to make its own way. We have ideas and a rich vein of experts from different walks of life. I am delighted for these new people who have stepped up to the mark to represent the communities in a real way. It is a really positive step that will bring honesty and integrity back into politics. On the downfall of the Tories, he said, I think they were complacent. County Councillor Liam Walker, who represents Hamborough and Minster Lovell, said, Clearly it was a disappointing night for us, and I think the reason was a mix of local issues, the national picture, and the candidate deals the Lib Dems have openly admitted to, doing in some seats to help them seize power. The District Council is up for election again next year, and we will now fight to take it back and in the meantime highlight why, just as we are seeing just as we are seeing at the county council, a left wing coalition of parties running the council is bad news for residents. We have seen the OCC an administration that in just a year has hiked up council tax to the legal limit, raised councillor allowances whilst residents feel the pinch, borrowed £88 million this year alone, turned their backs on Oxfordshire farmers by imposing vegan-only food at the council, spending hundreds of thousands of pounds on general on gender-neutral toilets, and they have hiked up parking charges. 
And now we have Byron with two short items, the first of which is a load of rubbish. (laughs) (coughs) Thanks, Nigel. Indeed it is. Rubbish all over the place. And the headline is, Bin Collections Missed. Inconsiderate parking is blocking bin truck routes and leading to missed collections, a council has said. West Oxfordshire District Council said drivers leaving vehicles blocking bends and turning areas was a daily problem and led to households in some narrow streets having to wait for bins to be emptied. It said workers did not have time to wait for vehicles to be moved. The council said collectors tried to return later but could only do so if time allowed. It pointed out that illegal parking could also stop emergency services gaining access to properties. And the next item is headlined Colleges Team Up with Top Quiz Host for Charity. Oxfordshire Colleges and Top Quiz Host Jay Flynn are to collaborate on charity fundraising efforts. Abingdon and Whitney Colleges have enlisted the help of YouTube pub quiz star Jay Flynn to host or even host a fundraising night in aid of Ukraine Deck Fund and the Charlie Waller Trust. The Abingdon College will host a physical event which will include the live stream of Jay as Quizmaster. But people who want to take part online can use a sign-up link via a QR code scan. The quiz will begin at 7.30pm on Friday and the college will open doors at 7pm for the physical event. Debbie Southworld librarian at the colleges and organiser of the event, said, Absolutely everybody is welcome. We're recommending a £5 minimum donation for people who want to participate. Jay Flynn ran a pub in Lancashire and hosted a weekly quiz before the pandemic. He has now hosted more than 200 online quizzes that have raised more than £1.3 million for various charities. Restoring the Four Shire Stone. <clears throat> the Four Shire Stone on the A44 south of Morton in Marsh marked the ancient boundary between the four counties of Gloucestershire, Warwickshire, Oxfordshire and Worcestershire until reorganisation of county boundaries in 1931, when several Worcestershire parishes were absorbed into Gloucestershire. The 15-foot-high pillar of Cotswold Stone is thought to date from the late 17th century, although mystery surrounds its exact origins. It has a colourful history and was a well-known meeting point and a venue for prize fights. J.R.R. Tolkien was a frequent visitor to this area and he said that this waymarker caught his imagination. Fans of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings will know of the three-farthing stone of the Shire, but the stone had not always been well cared for and even had to be rebuilt when a lorry demolished it in 1955. James Heyman Joyce from Barton-on-the-Heath was saddened by its demise. He says, I passed the stone on my way to work for 35 years and became increasingly concerned at its poor state of repair. So I resolved to do something about it, and formed the Four Shire Stone Restoration Committee, with the aim of raising £20,000 to restore the stone 
to its former glory. The project involves restoring and repairing the stonework, replacing the railings and enhancing the engravings on all four sides of the pillar. Mr Heyman Joyce added, We have the permissions we need to complete the work and we hope that the four shire stone will be standing tall and gleaming again by the end of the year. But we also realise that these are difficult and troubled times and the situation in Ukraine is an important pull on all our resources. So any contribution to this project would be so gratefully received. For details of how to donate and more information about the Four Shire Stone, see www.fourshirestone.org.uk and there is a black and white photo of the stone with the railings round it and also of Mr Heyman Joyce. Now a rather distressing article. It's headed up, Stress Fit Really a Brain Tumour. A woman who was told her mental state caused her to have a seizure was later diagnosed with a brain tumour. Lisa Cozier, 43, from Chipping Norton, was home with her husband Ian, a 43-year-old sound engineer, when she suffered a seizure. The next day, following tests and an MRI scan at the JR in Oxford, she was diagnosed with a non-epileptic attack disorder, NEAD, caused by mental and emotional processes rather than physical causes. The grandmother of two said, At the time I had a lot going on in my personal life and my mental health was very challenging. Although doctors told me not to worry, I didn't want to wait for another seizure and I made the conscious effort to work on my mental health. <clears throat> Mrs Cozier's seizures finally stopped. A year later she was fitted with a pacemaker after dizzy spells and further tests reveal she had intermittent heart block a possible side effect of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, a condition that affects connective tissues in the body. Her health problems continued, but after a CT scan at Horton General Hospital in Banbury, she received a shock diagnosis. Up until this point, my brain tumour had gone undiagnosed, so to hear those two words was a huge surprise. I wanted to know more about my tumour and what treatment I would need. I kept thinking about my grandmother who had uh, a brain tumour and died aged 73 when I was in my early 30s. I couldn't help but wonder if that would be my fate. Over the last two years, Lisa has been on a watch and wait which ended in March and a recent MRI scan showed no further growth of her tumour. But as well as double vision, Mrs Cozy experienced intense bouts of fatigue and uses a mobility scooter to walk her assistant's dog, Labrador Rory. She said, I've been difficult to come. it has been difficult to come with my diagnosis. Um, I still don't have answers to all the questions in my head. My family has been incredibly supportive during this time, as has Rory, in helping me gain confidence in getting out into nature, something key to helping my mental and physical health. I hope that by sharing my story, I can help highlight the need for more funding 
for research of this disease that we still do not know enough about. Hugh Adams, head of stakeholder relation at Brain Tumour Research, said it's concerning that Lisa's brain tumour diagnosis was delayed and that symptoms were mistaken as being related to other underlying health conditions. Her story highlights the need for more research into discovering the cause of brain tumours. Drone deployed to thwart farm raiders. A drone has been used by a new task force tackling rural crime to stop the suspected theft of a plant machine worth hundreds of thousands of pounds. Thames Valley Police launched a rural crime task force in March. More than £400,000 worth of trailers, caravans and other equipment have been recovered by the team. They have also been proactively working with the Forces Forensic Investigation Unit to address rises in thefts from farms of GPS units within tractor satellite navigation systems. And the task force is supporting investigations into rural issues such as hair coursing. The task force is also working with TVP's Economic Crime Unit to investigate the proceeds of crime, looking at money laundering and links between rural and organised crime. TVP West Oxfordshire tweeted that the team is working alongside them this week and a drone was invaluable in preventing a potential theft of a piece of farm machinery worth £250,000. And this evening we're delighted to have uh, Richard Donoghue with us, who's going to give us our reflection. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Nigel, and hello to you all. On the afternoon of the 12th of May, 1992, the youngest of my children were born. And so as I record this reflection for you, these children, yes, there were twins, a boy and a girl, they are celebrating their 30th birthday. Unfortunately, we're not able to do this as a family, as the boy Sam is currently in Australia. He's been asked to go by his employer for a six-week period and will not be back for a further ten days. The girl, Miriam, still lives locally, and I was able to spend some time with her yesterday. I don't know what I thought, even if I gave it a momentary thought, when they were born about how I would feel in 30 years. Their birth was quite simply a time for rejoicing. I do recall my boss at the time asking me to be present at a meeting and me telling him that that was not possible as the twins were going to be born. You can't know that, was his response. I tried to explain that the decision had been made that they would be born by caesarean section and his meeting time was when that was scheduled to happen. To this day, I am still not sure he understood what I was saying. Anyway, 30 years of mainly good times have passed. There have been rough moments, of course. Like when I told them we were moving from Wolverhampton, their place of birth, to Whitney. The visit to Whitney to look at the town and the churches I will be looking after had not, for them, gone spectacularly well. The last church we visited that day was in Stonesfield. It was a dark, cold December evening when we arrived in the village. A village 
of course, that has no street lighting. Neither of them had ever experienced real darkness before, and it truly startled them. The news later on that the move was on didn't fill them with much joy either. However, if you were to ask them now, then they would tell you that it was the best thing that happened to them. But it took a while. But really, this is not about them, but about me. How do I feel all these years later? Well, I am very proud of them both, as indeed I am about their older sister. I am proud of Sam for his passion and belief in trying to make the world a better place. He works incredibly hard and long hours to make his vision a reality. His partner, Katie, has to put up with quite a lot and she didn't even get invited to go to Australia alongside him. And I'm proud of Miriam for the love and the care she shows to me and her mother. It's very practical caring, and I never have any doubts that when she might be needed, that she will be there. One of the best moments was the day of her wedding to Alex. He's just a great son-in-law, and they are both so blessed to have each other. Just as my wife Val and I have been blessed over these 30 years. Now, of course, I can't finish without a joke or two, can I? Because that's what you expect. So, I've got three for you, okay? You have to concentrate on these, all right? If I ever have twin daughters, I'd name the first one Kate and the second one Duplicate. my friend had twins over the pandemic i ran into her for the first time in ages and asked how the little ones were doing she said amal and juan were just fine and were growing like weeds i asked to see a picture of them and she showed me a single baby on her phone with a girl and a boy a couple of weeks before her due date the wife is with her brother at home and suddenly has shooting pains in her abdomen happened. He says, I'll be on the next flight home and there as soon as I can. Ridiculous. Well, he said, I'm so relieved to hear the good news, but please, you've got to tell me what names did you choose? Well, I think I might have done all right there. So for the girl, I called her Denise. What did you name my son? To which the brother-in-law replied, well, of course, you know, he's Denise. Well, thank you, Richard. That was very inspiring and uplifting. And now we move on to the quiz. First of all, the answers to last week's quiz, uh, which were about food and drink. And question one was, Brazil nuts originated in which South American country? And the answer is Bolivia. Question two, which type of sweet would you associate with a phrase often uttered by Scrooge? And the answer is humbug. Right. Question three. What is the common name for an Advocar and lemonade cocktail? Snowball. Snowball. That's right. Right. (laughs) Question four. In Shakespeare's Hamlet, which herb is said to be for remembrance? Rosemary. Rosemary. That's right. And question five. What is the name given to a dish of uh, of toast cooked with ham, eggs and hollandaise sauce? 
And that is Eggs Benedict. That's right. Right, and so on to this week's quiz, which is a complete mixture. Question one. Which actor has played on film the following parts? Robin Hood, James Bond and Richard the Lionheart. Question two. How many popes have been assassinated? Is it 13, 18 or 26? Question three. Who wrote the original book of Les Miserables? Question four. Which of the Channel Islands is nearest to the coast of France? And question five. Rat, red and tree are all species of which marsupial? And the answers will be given by Jean next week. And now we move on to two more short items, which are going to be read by Barbara. And the next item is headlined, Awards Seeking Out Top Inspiring Social Workers. Nominations are requested for inspiring social workers from Oxfordshire, who have made a difference to the lives of the people they support. The Social Worker of the Year Awards is now open for entries, and members of the public are encouraged to name those who they feel deserve to be recognised for their hard work and support. There are 17 award categories to enter across the Adult and Children's Services, including Adult Social Worker of the Year, Children's Social Worker of the Year and Team of the Year. Peter Hay, Chairman of the Social Work Awards, said, Social work is such an important and demanding profession. The Social Worker of the Year Awards provide the opportunity for us to celebrate the extraordinary work carried out by those who work in the sector in England. If you know an inspiring social worker in Oxfordshire, make sure you let them know by nominating them this year. Finalists from across England will be recognised at an awards ceremony in London in November and attend a reception at the Houses of Parliament in March 2023. Nominations close on June the 24th. The list of categories is at socialworkawards.com. To nominate a social worker, see socialworkawards.awardsplatform.com backslash dashboard. Biker hospitalised after collision <clears throat> with a white van. A motorcyclist has been hospitalised with serious injuries after a crash with a car. The man in his 20s was hurt in a collision with a white Peugeot expert van at about 8pm on the B4044 Ensham Road south of the Swinford Toll Bridge. The van driver was uninjured but the motorcyclist on a red Yamaha motorbike was taken to hospital. Thames Valley Police is appealing for witnesses. PC Dean O'Dell of the Joint Operations Road Policing Unit said, If you have any CCTV footage or any dash cam footage, if you were in the area around the time, please come forward. I'd also ask that you check any recordings in case it has been captured, something that could assist our investigation. And the second item is an attack near a supermarket. A man has been charged with assault after a man was hit in the face with a knuckle duster outside a supermarket. 
Christian Ellis Leachman, 18, of Farmers Close Whitney, was charged last Thursday with one count of assault by beating in connection with an incident on November the 30th last year. The victim, sorry, the victim, an 18-year-old man, was approached by a group of men near to the co-op store in High Street at just before 3.15 in the afternoon on November the 30th and was hit in the face with an item believed to be a knuckle duster. The victim attended hospital for treatment to a broken nose. Ellis Meet Leachman was arrested on January the 20th and charged via postal requisition. He is now due to appear before Oxford Magistrates Court on June the 7th. Search for the wrong Luke delays the case. The sentencing of a knife man has has had to be put back for a month as it emerged the probation service had been trying to interview the wrong Luke. Luke Gleeson, 34, on Queen's Avenue, Kidlington, was due to be sentenced at Oxford Magistrates Court on Wednesday morning for having a knife in Gregory Place, Whitney, on January the 9th, together with other offences. But his lawyer, India Ferris, told the justices that no pre-sentence report had been produced by the probation service. This was not the result of her client's actions, but because the probation service initially thought wrongly that he was serving at a prison in Yorkshire, and then later tried to call a completely different man who shared the same forename as Gleeson. Probation seemed to think he was in Her Majesty's prison in Doncaster, and they had booked to see him there, she said. He, of course, was not in prison and has been out of prison for some time. No attempt was made to contact him in the community. In the report, it says probation has been contacting a different Luke. It is not Mr Gleeson, it's simply another Luke. (laughs) She said the probation service had been given Gleeson's number by his solicitors, but it appeared they had put the wrong number into the system for the wrong Luke. You still following me? (laughs) Asking the magistrates to adjourn for probation to have another go at interviewing her client, Ms Ferris said, This is a case that needs a pre-sentence report. It is a second offence for a knife. He had mental health issues at the time and was going through a lot. Gleeson, who has a second, who as a second striker, faces a mandatory prison sentence of six months, unless the justices feel it will be unjust, was now working, had somewhere to live, and was com- was complying with the probation service. The magistrates adjourned sentence until June the fourteenth and accepted an apology from the duty probation officer in court. The chairman of the bench told Gleeson he had done everything right. Paedophile got laptop but did not tell the police. A convicted paedophile ordered a Chromebook, then lied to police about it barely a month after being given a suspended sentence for looking at child abuse images. Martin Roger, 26, whose financial affairs are managed by Oxfordshire County Council, as a result of his various mental health difficulties, had asked his social worker for the money to get the laptop last September. 
the Chromebook was ordered to his Whitney home by Argos in early September. Police knew about the order, having been told about it by the County Council. They were expecting Roger to tell them about the new laptop. A condition of a sexual harm prevention order imposed a month earlier when he was given a suspended sentence for possession of indecent images required him to register any new internet-abled device within three days. But by September the 16th, when the officers knocked at his door, he still hadn't notified them of the Chromebook. Prosecutor Cathy Oliver told Oxford Crown Court that Roger initially claimed he didn't have any new devices. When the officers found it hidden underneath his mattress, he claimed falsely that it had only been delivered the previous day. He said he was planning to declare it the next day. He said he'd used a Chromebook to look at adult pornography online. Roger of Eastfield Road, Whitney, pleaded guilty at an earlier hearing to breach of his sexual harm prevention order. Appearing at the Crown Court last Friday, he was asked if he admitted that that conviction put him in breach of a 12-month suspended sentence imposed last August. He replied, indeed. Mitigating, Gordana Austin said her client suffered from a number of mental health difficulties, including a personality disorder. He spent much of his time alone in his room and his computer was the link to the outside world. Roger was described as isolated. Sending him to prison for 18 months, Judge Maria Lamb told the defendant... I am sure it was made perfectly clear to you on that occasion, August 13th, 2021, when he received the suspended sentence, what the consequences would be if you had committed any further offence and within a month you had breached the sexual harm prevention order that had been made on the occasion in August 2021 by failing to to notify you had a Chromebook that had internet access. I am quite satisfied you knew perfectly well you should have notified the police of the existence of that Chromebook. His sexual harm prevention order will continue and he must continue to register as a sex offender on his release from prison. And now we come to Editor's Choice and this is in two parts. Firstly, on this day in history and secondly, an article I found in The Countryman. In 330 AD... Constantinople, or Byzantium, becomes the capital of the Roman Empire. In 1812, the only Prime Minister in in the UK that has ever been assassinated was assassinated on this day, and he was Spencer Percival. In 1960, on this day, John D. Rockefeller, Jr. died. In 1963, the Beatles start a 30-week run at number one on the UK album charts with their debut album, Please Please Me. In 1981, Bob Marley died. In 1995, more than 170 countries agree to extend the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty indefinitely and without conditions to prevent the spread of nuclear weapons. And in the year 2000, India's population officially reaches 1 billion. Asta Anora was named India's billionth baby. And now we go on to a, an article from The Countryman, which is entitled Charity Begins at Home by Robin Mitchell. 
In her article, Charity Begins at Home, in March, Helen Osborne writes about village charities, that few of these survive today. But two such charities that are surviving, and indeed flourishing, are the parish charities in Ensham, the village about five miles west of Oxford. Until recently, I was clerk of these parish charities, the Consolidated Charity for the Relief of Need of Hardship and Distress, and the Bartholomew Educational Foundation, supporting education for those under 25. Ensham charities have a long and interesting history. The first mention of a local education charity is in 1654, and by 1658 the St Thomas Bread Charity was already an amalgamation of several pre-existing small charities for the relief of the poor, distributing bread to the poor each week from Christmas until Lady Day. In 1701, the will of John Bartholomew, a wealthy local merchant, provided funds for the education of ten poor boys. The then lord of the manor gave the land in the marketplace for the erection of a schoolhouse, which was built by public subscription, and which still stands to this day, the Bartholomew Room. The walls of the upper chamber carry plaques bearing the names of the original subscribers, some of whom are of families still living in the village. One of the more colourful events in the long history of the charities occurred in 1865 when Vicar Brickle, who seems to have monopolised the administration of the charities in this period, refused to submit accounts for the previous six years and came to blows at a trustees' meeting. The rest of the trustees banded together and went to court, obtaining an order for him to submit accounts under pain of imprisonment. The disorganised state of the various charities, which by then existed in Encham, was addressed by the new Charity Commission in the early years of the last century, when the two current charities were established. Thanks to the generous donations made to the charities by past and present villagers, the charities are able to make useful grants to anyone living in the parish who is in need or has educational requirements. Typical grants made these days by the Consolidated Charity might be for white goods, a broken freezer for example, and grants perhaps for books or tools by the Educational Foundation. Many English parishes must still have their village charities and it would be interesting to know if anyone can supply information about what happens in their own locality. And now we move on to our next item which continues uh, court reporting and is going to be read by Byron. It's about a dr- drugs kingpin. Thanks, Nigel. And yes, the headline here <coughs> excuse me, is Did Drugs Kingpin Handle 140 Kilograms of Coke or Just 25 Kilograms? And Does It Matter? Lawyers will argue over whether a cocaine kingpin shifted 25 kilograms of the powder or up to 140 kilograms. Richard Gray, 33, of Barley Court, Whitney, was the top man in a conspiracy to supply the Class A drugs across the region between March 2020 and May last year. Using the heavily encrypted communications network, EncroChat, he arranged to purchase kilos of cocaine at a time from suppliers in Preston and Bury. The drugs were then driven back to Oxfordshire by couriers William White, 36, and Jamie Shepherd-Smith, 33. Earlier this year, jurors in the trial of his brother, 
trusted Lieutenant Patrick Gray, 44, and Milton Keynes-based customer, Muhammad Ali, 50, heard that Richard Gray bought a modified Fiat van with a concealed drugs hide and set up a courier firm with Company's House to make it easier to go undetected during lockdown. A police bug fitted to Gray's van picked him up setting out his plan to funnel the cash they were making from drugs into a property portfolio. It would get to the point where we become untouchable, he said. Judge Michael Gledhill, QC, was due to hear submissions from Gray's lawyers last week about the amount of cocaine he supplied over the year. Although Gray pleaded guilty in January to two counts of conspiracy to supply Class A drugs, he indicated he would be entering a basis of plea. But that had not been submitted by his lawyers, who said he had recently tested positive for coronavirus in HM Prison, Bullingdon, and it had not been possible to arrange a meeting. Prosecutor Michael Rockwes told Oxford Crown Court, Richard Gray and those he instructs together are responsible for delaying this case by months and months. I struggle to see how he would not have been able to enter a basis of plea on the day he pleaded guilty, saying, this is how many kilos I dealt. The court heard Gray was understood to admit to dealing 5 kilograms of cocaine between March and June 2020 and 20 kilograms between October 2020 and May 2021. The prosecution say he was responsible for supplying up to 10 kilograms in the earlier period and 60 to 80 kilograms over the second. The judge would also be asked to consider messages the Crown say show a plan to buy 50 kilograms. Gray's co-conspirators were waiting until the basis of plea before submitting their own, the judge was told. The keys to prison are in your hands. Judge tells a man, a man who breached his suspended sentence order through bad behaviour and failing to turn up, was told the keys to the cell doors were in his hands. Samuel Cooper, 30, was given a six-month suspended sentence last summer for common assault, together with friend Lee Clark. He shoved a man into a shop window in Corn Street, Whitney, in August 2019. The pair had been charged with robbery, as the victim's phone was said to have been taken during the incident, which followed a booze binge. However, the men admitted alternative charges of common assault. Both were given suspended sentences. Appearing before Oxford Crown Court on Monday morning, Cooper of Valence Crescent Whitney admitted breaching the six-month suspended sentence order by having to be sent home from probation appointments in November and February for bad behaviour and failing to attend two appointments in March. Dana Bilan, mitigating, said her client welcomed a recommendation from the probation service that he was given a drug rehabilitation requirement. He had been addicted to cocaine for 15 years. Judge Michael Gledhill QC imposed the 12-month drug rehabilitation order, warning him about the dangers of not complying. Cooper was told, The keys to the door that lead to the cells 
are in effect in your hands. If you want to go through it, it's up to you. And now we come to our notice board. And uh, firstly, we would like to wish many happy returns of the day on for the 16th to Maggie Knight, uh, one of our listeners in Whitney. And unusually, from the Gazette this week, we actually have uh, a birth notification. And this is to Tom and Carly Merchant, a beautiful baby girl born on the 5th of May, called Maeve Janet Esme. And sadly, we have to report four deaths also from the Whitney Gazette. Firstly, Dorothy Smith, who died on the 28th of April, aged 84, from Minster Lovell. Secondly, Raymond Binns, known as Bino, died on the 24th of April, aged 78 years, from Whitney. On the 23rd of April, Julia Busk passed away, aged 57, from Milton under Witchwood. And lastly, Patricia Raymond died on the 25th of April, aged 87 years, and she was from Whitney. Now, as well as listening to the USB stick you receive from us each week, there are several other ways for you to listen to all our editions, including magazines. These include Sonata Plus, the Internet, the podcast. Full details can be seen on our website at wtn.org and just follow the link to listen now. And now we go on to some lighter uh, items, uh, having got rid of all the court and offending, and we uh, have an item about a May Day Fair, which is going to be read by John. May Day Fair returned and at its busiest. Thousands of people enjoyed everything from a dog show to displays of tractors and giant tortoises at a spring fair. Back after a few years' break, Carterton May Day Fair also featured stalls and attractions including shows of vintage cars and motorbikes, a craft marquee, a car boot sale and a funfair ride. The energetic Zumba Anita put on a Zumba display and there were performances by the Bryce Norton Military Wives Choir, RAF Voluntary Band and Ryan Clayton on the bandstand at Carterton Recreation Ground. Prizes for a scarecrow trail, scarecrow trail were handed out by West Oxfordshire MP Robert Courts. Eisler from Carterton Primary School, whose beautiful design was on the front cover of the show programme, cut the ribbon to open the fate. This event was organised by the Carterton and Whitney branch of Save the Children Fund, with all profits from the event going to help vulnerable children all over the world, including in the UK. Organisers said, We are so thankful to each and every one of you for turning out to support our event and helping it to make it such a success. We were amazed with the turnout and it was certainly one of the busiest ones in the 40-year history. The recreation ground certainly became a hive of activity and it was lovely to see the whole of Carterton and beyond come together for a wonderful community event. Reptile-loving octogenarian snaps up cuddles. A reptile-loving 85-year-old has had her unique wish answered after her care home welcomed three scaly visitors. Pauline Williams, who lives at Care UK's Miller's Grange in Whitney, got to grips with stroking and feeding a three-year-old Thomas Stoma, 
crocodile after telling the Holmes team she wanted to see one up close. The mother of four is no stranger to snapping pictures with reptiles, having played host to pets including water snakes, tortoises, terrapins and lizards while raising her children. After visiting Crocodiles of the World in Bryce Norton with her grandchildren five years ago, the memory stuck and she was keen to see the animals up close again. Also joined by a bearded dragon and reticulated python, the visit was part of Care UK's Wishing Tree initiative, which encourages residents to reconnect with past hobbies or explore something new. I enjoyed the day very much, Pauline said. It brought back many memories from when my children were younger, as they had reptiles. I was excited to hold the crocodile, as they look vicious, but are really tame and friendly. Mark Young, Customer Relations Manager at Miller's Grange, said, We do not accept that life at a care home has to be a particular way. We ensure there are no limitations to activities residents pursue. We were delighted to make such a unique wish come true for Pauline, as she has always talked about reptiles with such a passion. It was a fantastic day that we will all remember for a very long time. And there's a lovely picture of Pauline smiling broadly with a python wrapped around her neck. And our next story is a short one and it's entitled Support in Sight Loss. The Royal National Institute of the Blind is supporting blind and partially sighted people in the southeast with a range of well-being services during Mental Health Awareness Week, which runs until Sunday. Since COVID-19 restrictions have been lifted, RNIB's counselling team are experiencing an increasing number of calls for emotional support. Referrals to the mental well-being check-ins are also continuing to rise and the surge is expected to continue throughout the year. The mental well-being check-in service provides support within 72 hours of contacting RNIB and provides an hour-long call with a counsellor, allowing people to have space to share their feelings, explore coping strategies and any other support needs. Mental Health Awareness Week is organised by the Mental Health Foundation. And now we come to our last item, which will end as we began, a story about Jeremy Clarkson. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Tractor lessons with Caleb under Clarkson's hammer. Lots lots from a tractor driving lesson with Clarkson's farm star Caleb Cooper to to the loan of a new electric mini, will go under Jeremy Clarkson's hammer on Friday to raise funds for an open-air swimming pool. Other top lots in the fundraiser for Chipping Norton Lido include a gourmet tasting menu and wine for two at Whistler's Restaurant in the town, a week in Tenby, festival tickets, a new mountain bike and a tennis session with racehorse trainer Charlie Brooks husband of media executive and former newspaper editor Rebecca Brooks. Charlie Longston Racing has promised a morning on the gallops for two people and bids can be made for up to £20 of sweets or chocolates each month for a year from Mr Sims at Ye Old Sweet Shop. Chipping Norton Lado 
trustee Claire Jarvis said, it's a long postponed night of fevered bidding and top class entertainment to raise vital funds for the community run pool. The audience is promised an unmissable event that will help the pool withstand the current energy crisis and remain open to the public. The pool has been run by local people as a charity since 2004 and is reliant upon the support of the public. Organisers say this generosity has helped us through the pandemic but we're recovering from its impact to find to find how we are now faced with exceptionally high and unpredictable price rises beyond our control for gas, electricity and chemicals. The pool, which opened on Sunday, April the 17th, is keeping ticket prices at the same level they were on closing day last year, with an added discount for frequent swimmers, but are not yet in a position to offer season tickets. Mr Clarkson, who famously lives at Diddley Squat Farm in Chadlington and has hosted the auction since 2007 and is a long-time supporter of the pool. He wrote, If I want to swim, I won't go into a pond, I'll simply pop into Chipping Norton, where there's a lovely Lido. It's heated, so it isn't the slightest bit refreshing. Mrs Jarvis said, Please come and support your Lido at this vital fundraising event. We're delighted that Jeremy Clarkson has agreed to be our auctioneer once again, and we have a brilliant range of lots this year. The auction will be at Chipping Norton Town Hall on Friday. Doors open at 7pm. Tickets cost £20, which includes wine and nibbles. Full details of the lots can be found on Instagram, Facebook, at Twitter, at, and then there's a sign of at Chippy Lido. Tickets and more information are available at chippylido.co.uk. And finally, whilst uh, looking through the Countryman magazine, uh, I found this short article, a true story from Norfolk in the days before Maine's water. A lad was sent home from school with a note demanding that he be washed thoroughly. His mother sent him straight back with the following note in reply. Dear Miss You, have, you have sent my Wally home because you say he smell. Well, let me tell you, I sent him to school to be learnt, not smelt. But then you being an old maid, I don't suppose you know what a good man smell like. And leaving you with that thought, that's all we have time for this week. Um, please keep listening for the radio and TV listings. Please remove the memory stick from the playback unit and close the metal shield. And remember to reverse the plastic address label on the yellow pouch before posting it back to us. Please do so as soon as possible, as we sometimes run out of labels and pouches and are then unable to continue our service to you. If you wish to contact us, simply put a slip of paper in your pouch and we will then phone you. Well, it only remains to me to thank the Whitney Gazette the Chipping Norton News and the Countryman for the articles we've used tonight. Thanks to our technical expert, Graham Diacon, and to our copiers, who will be Ian Rose and Mike Herbert. They will be copying the memory sticks and packing them and uh, sending out the pouches for post. Our admin team this evening have been uh, Doreen Turner and Shirley Rawlings. And finally, 
our four readers, Barbara Barringer, John Ashwell, Jill Breakspear and Byron Russell. And I know everyone would like to say goodbye, and so until the next edition, goodbye. goodbye. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Now for a look at this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, May 14th. A couple of interesting-looking dramas. Broadcast over three consecutive days on Radio 4, The Reckoning, a dramatisation of Charles Nichols' 92 non-fiction book about the death of Christopher Marlowe in what appeared to be a drunken brawl. Tune in to Radio 4 at 3 o'clock, also on Sunday and Monday. Choice at 4pm on Radio 4 Extra features another book dramatisation, William Boyd's A Good Man in Africa, with Alan Rickman as a womanising minor diplomat. It also stars Alison Steadman and Bill Patterson. 5.30pm on Saturday on Radio 4 is a new series of political thinking with Nick Robinson, in which the Today presenter interviews major political figures about their lives and careers. To Radio 3 at 6.30 for Opera on 3, English National Opera's production of Vaughan Williams' 1928 comedy Sir John in Love. Falstaff has two problems, no money and no woman. Will Windsor's Merry Wives turn the tables on him? And it's a big night for Eurovision fans, of which there must be many, given that the programme last year attracted 183 million television viewers across Europe and even the world. This year, Ken Bruce presents the Eurovision Grand Final from Turin, with the UK hopes resting on Sam Ryder performing Spaceman. And the party starts at 8 o'clock on Radio 2. Sunday, May 15th, Lauren Laverne's guest on Desert Island Discs is actor and broadcaster Bradley Walsh. Tune in at 11am on Radio 4. Poetry Please at 4.30pm on Radio 4 features a range of powerful poems reflecting on disability and by disabled poets. They've been selected by Hannah Hodgson, who has a life-limiting illness and writes remarkable poetry about her experience. We live in a world of automated messages, your call is important to us. See it, say it, sort it. Thank you for holding, to name just a few. Between the Ears on Radio 3 at 6.45 on Sunday focuses on the multitude of depersonalised messages that accost people on a daily basis and asks whether they amount to more than just a minor irritation. Mind the gap. At 7pm on Radio 2 comes Sunday Night is Music Night, First broadcast in 2017, Mike Dixon conducts the BBC Concert Orchestra in a 50th anniversary celebration of music featured in films and stage shows from 1967. And this follows on Radio 2 at 9pm by Music Therapy with Edith Bowman, in which she invites guests to discuss the songs that have helped them through difficult or significant moments. Here she's joined by Shaznay Lewis of singing group All Saints and comedian and broadcaster Richard Ayodi. On to programmes then that are broadcast every day, Monday to Friday, at the same time. Same radio station, same time, all week, Monday to Friday. Book of the Week at 9.45 on Radio 4 each day is Empire of Pain. Patrick Radden Keefe's award-winning book telling the saga of three generations of the Sackler family and their involvement in the opioid crisis in the USA. 
It is an absorbing tale of a family who made a $14 billion fortune and whose name has now been dropped from major galleries around the world, including the Tate and the British Museum. The first episode is entitled A Good Name. Radio 3's Composer of the Week is Vaughan Williams. In the 150th anniversary of his birth, Donald MacLeod focuses on the years 1931 to 1947, a dramatic period not just in Williams' life, but in the wider world too. Tune in to Radio 3, 12 noon, each day. Also all week, at 1.45 on Radio 4, the future will be synthesised, in which Henry Adger examines the legal, political and ethical implications of a synthetic society. The first episode looks at the use of deep fakes in pornography, when a person in an existing image or video is replaced with somebody else's likeness. There are a couple of dramas on Radio 4 Extra which may be of interest. At 2 o'clock, each day is Clock Dance, Anne Tyler's 2018 novel about family and self-discovery set in 1967. It's followed at 2.15 each day by William Makepeace Thackeray's satirical 1848 novel Vanity Fair, narrated by Stephen Fry. And of course you can't end the highlights every day of the week, Monday to Friday, without mentioning Book at Bedtime. This week, Mira Sayal reads Monica Ali's novel Love Marriage, in which two families, one a traditional Muslim and the other a firebrand feminist mother, are brought together by marriage. It's on every night, 10.45, on Radio 4. On to the rest of the week's highlights then, starting with Monday, May 16th. Untold, at 11am on Radio 4, is entitled Island Warden Wanted. This week, since 2018, Matt Brown has been the warden of Flat Home, an island in the British Channel of just 600 metres, mainly populated by gulls. But after four years of island life, he's decided it's time to return to the mainland. Who will take this unique job? Radio 4's Just a Minute returns this week. Sue Perkins is in the chair. Her guests are Paul Merton, Tony Hawks, Pippa Evans and Susie Ruffle. Tune in at 6.30pm. And then at 8pm on Radio 4, London on the Line looks at how, a decade on from the highs of the 2012 Olympics, the capital is struggling. The government is focused on levelling up outside the city. Covid has ripped through its economy. Dr Jack Brown from King's College London looks at how the capital can be revived, starting in Waltham Forest, across the road from the Olympic Park. Tuesday, May 17th, in the Long View at 9am on Radio 4, Jonathan Friedland takes a look at the news through the lens of history. He talks to historians about past events that have a great deal in common with those of today. At 11am on Radio 4 comes Putin. Entitled Praying on Hopes and Fears, this final episode in the series looks at how in 2021 the Russian leader retreated to his bunker as the COVID-19 pandemic spread through Russia. Johnny Diamond discusses how this isolation affected his thinking and his decision to invade Ukraine. The drama 2.15 on Radio 4 is An Accident That Wasn't Your Fault, a gentle romance about taking control of destiny. A chance encounter in a random phone call may prove good fortune or bad luck for Jess and Lydia. Radio 3, in concert, features Beethoven's Overture Leonora No. 3, Sibelius's Violin Concerto and Prokofiev's Symphony No. 5. 19-year-old violinist Maria Dunas joins Domingo Hindian as he conducts the Royal Liverpool Philharmonic Orchestra, recorded in April at the Liverpool Philharmonic Hall. Radio 3, 7.30pm. 
Alternatively, File on 4 at 8 on Radio 4 looks at the UK's Homes for Ukraine scheme. More than 150,000 people signed up to this, hoping to open their doors to those desperately fleeing the war. In Ukraine Taking in the Trauma, Adrian Goldberg investigates the difficulties the scheme is facing, examines how schools, councils and health services are coping with the arrival of so many traumatised families. And at 8.40, as it's Tuesday, in touch with Peter White, news, views and information for people who are blind or partially sighted on Radio 4. Wednesday, May 18th, in Lady Killers with Lucy Worsley. This week, Lucy reinvestigates the case of servant Grace Marks, who was accused of murdering her master Thomas Kinnear and his housekeeper Nancy in Canada in 1843. Grace insisted she was innocent, but when the police found her, she was wearing the clothing of the woman she was suspected of killing. Drama at 2.15 on Radio 4, Red Lines a fact-based drama co-written by David Cameron's former head of communications, Craig Oliver, and historian Anthony Selden. We get the inside scoop on how Cameron and Barack Obama failed to implement the red line that was crossed when President Assad used chemical weapons during the Syrian civil war in 2013, aided and abetted by Vladimir Putin. Thinking Aloud at 4pm on Radio 4 this week is entitled covid and asks whether the pandemic has led to lasting transformation in our way of living and working. If you're into football, you may be keen to tune in to this year's Europa League final. German club Eintracht Frankfurt against Scottish club Rangers. Coverage 7pm on Radio 5 Live, kick-off at 8 o'clock. Alternatively, at 8 on Radio 4 comes Generation Change, in which Samira Ahmed and Catherine Rake bring together activists from different generations, united in their fight for decent social housing and end to poverty in Britain. Thursday, May 19th, Crossing Continents this week is entitled Is the War in Ukraine Uniting Estonia? A quarter of Estonians are ethnically Russian, and although Estonia's border with Russia there are whole cities, like Narva, where the vast majority speak Russian. Many people wondered whether Narva would be next to be invaded. Now a new generation of Russian-speaking Estonians are signing up to the country's volunteer defence force. Musicians and artists are bringing the Tallinn Music Festival to Narva for the first time, using culture to unite Estonians. Radio 4 at 2.15, the drama Our Friends in the North continues... We're now into 1984 and the miners' strike dominates political life throughout the country. It's followed on Radio 4 at 3 by Claire Balding's Ramblings. This week, she embarks on the first of two hikes in the Mourne Mountains, heading from Bloody Bridge near Newcastle on the coast, up into the hills. And we round off Thursday, Radio 3, in concert, 7.30pm, City Hall, Glasgow with the British-Scottish Symphony Orchestra playing works by Nielsen, Symphony No. 4, The Inextinguishable, and Mozart's Clarinet Concerto in A, K622. Friday, May 20th, Sketches, Stories of Art and People. The writer Anna Freeman hears stories of people using their creativity to pay tribute to others. There's the Leeds-based writer and musician using song to honour elderly members of the local community. An art teacher drawing every member of the British Armed Forces who've lost their lives in recent conflicts. You can hear it at 11am on Radio 4 on Friday. It's followed on Radio 4 at 11.30 by Believe It, John Cantor's fictional biography of Richard Wilson, narrated by the actor and featuring dramatised scenes from his untrue life story. 
Richard in this episode decides it's time to declutter his life. The drama Lucis continues on Radio 4 at 2.15. Magnus is a surgeon who secretly believes he doesn't do his daily rituals, his parents will die. We follow Magnus through the habitual voicemail messages he leaves for his ex-girlfriend, but with each day she doesn't answer. His rituals are further interrupted. Screenshot at 7.15 on Radio 4 is entitled Box Office Bombs, a look at the big-budget cinematic flops from the 1987 comedy Ishtar to the recent feline fiasco Cats. And we finish the week with three hours of smooth classics with Margarita Taylor from 10 o'clock on Classic FM. Or you may want to tune in to a late-night recommendation composed with Emily Sanday, in which the singer-songwriter shares the music that brings her strength and inspiration. It's a late one. It's at 1am on Radio 3. That's it for this week. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable week of radio listening. Hello to you all. This is John, selecting and reading my choice of audio-described television programmes for the week commencing Saturday the 14th of May and ending on Friday the 20th of May 2022. I hope you find them helpful. So let's start with Saturday the 14th. And part 6 of Ainsley's Good Mood Food is on ITV at 11.35am. Ainsley shows how to add sweetness to dishes. The wartime feature film starring Noel Coward is In Which We Serve, and it's on BBC Two at 10 past 2 this afternoon. The FA Cup final between Chelsea and Liverpool is on both ITV and BBC. The coverage starts at 3.45 on ITV and 4pm on BBC One, but it's not already described. Hopefully you'll get a flavour of the match from the commentary. The Secret Life of the Zoo is on Channel 4 at 5.20. See how an orangutan gets on when it is first separated from its mother when she needs a CT scan and how they breed cardinal fish. There's a documentary about a wolf called Storm on BBC Two at 7.15 investigating how the wolf and his family survive in this harsh Canadian wilderness. At 7.15, Channel 4 is visiting the Lake District Farm Shop. Today, they look at sourcing local potted brown shrimps and muesli. Also on 4, but at 8.15, Devon and Cornwall Farming Lives, featuring people trying to make the most out of their farmland in widely diverse ways, like using heavy horses and distilling vodka. Finally for Saturday night, the late night film on ITV at 10.35, is the Radio Times film of the day, Pretty Woman. Now on to Sunday the 15th of May. There are more Homes Under the Hammer on BBC One at 11am. This is followed, still on one, by Bargain Hunt at 12 noon. The Hairy Bikers continue their Asian adventure in Hong Kong at 12.30 on BBC Two. The fantasy adventure film on Channel 4 at 6.50 is Thor. The Norse god Thor is banished to Earth after a reckless attack on their frost giant enemies. There he has to adapt to life without superpowers, while his Excalibur-like hammer lies buried in the desert. Eden, Untamed Planet, is on BBC Two at ten past seven, following life in the Namib Desert, where the annual rainfall is measured in millimetres and temperatures can reach 50 degrees C. Part 6 of Gentleman Jack is on BBC One at nine, in I Can Be As A Meteor In Your Life and, despite money worries and intimidation by the newspapers, shifts her empire into a new gear. Or you could watch the final episode of Who Dares Wins on Channel 4 at 9. 
The recruits are captured and interrogated. Then to force a confession, they are buried alive and then thrown into a tank of water. Or another choice at nine, but on BBC Two, is Idris Elba's fight school. Idris finally reveals who they will be facing in their official amateur fights. There's a new series on BBC Three at ten, Conversations with My Friends, telling the story of two students and their connection with a married couple. If you're a fan of normal people, there are echoes of that story here. But rather than the romance in Normal People, this is about the age gap tensions and edgy dynamic powers. Episode 2 is on tonight at 10.30. Now look at programmes that are on the same time each weekday. The following daytime programmes are all on BBC One. Homes Under the Hammer at 11.15am, Bargain Hunt at 12.15, Doctors at 1.45, but not on Friday. Escape to the Country at 3pm. Then on BBC Two, Animal Park at Longleat Safari Park can be seen at 6.30pm. All the soaps are already described, and as a reminder, they're on as follows. Home and Away on Channel 5 at 1.15pm, and then repeated on Five Star at 6pm. Neighbours on Channel 5 at 1.45pm, and repeated still on Channel 5 at 6pm. Hollyoaks on Channel 4 at 6.30. EastEnders on BBC One at 7.30pm. Emmerdale on ITV at 7.30 and Coronation Street on ITV at 8. Now look at programmes on Monday the 16th of May. Food Unwrapped on Channel 4 at 8pm. Jimmy Doherty asks why we prefer brioche buns for our burgers and Kate Quilton explores why some ice creams melt faster than others. Earth from Space is on BBC 4 at 8pm. Satellite cameras reveal mysterious spots in the Australian outback and some freshwater lagoons in Brazil. The airport, back in the skies, is on BBC One at 8.30. How do you resolve a gridlock caused by two aircraft coming face-to-face on a taxiway? See how Haley resolves this problem in tonight's programme. Also at 8.30, but on Channel 4, the truth about Nike and Adidas. If the trainer industry were a country... It would be the world's 17th biggest polluter, yet websites still make claims about its sustainability. Darcy Thomas investigates the truth about our trainers. Did you work out with Joe during lockdown? During this time, Joe had many messages from parents about their mental health and how that was impacting on their children. In Joe Wick's Facing My Childhood, Joe relives his childhood where he had similar problems and he visits a charity which helps these children. It's on BBC One at 9pm. Elon Musk, superhero or villain, is on Channel 4 at 9pm. Is he the greatest inventor and businessman the world has ever seen? This film interviews those who know Musk, those who have worked with him, and those who have gone to war with his companies. Part 3 of Conversations with Friends is on BBC Three at 10pm. There's a new drama on ITV at 10.45pm, Hollington Drive, starring Anna Maxwell-Martin. When 10-year-old Alex Boyd is declared missing, sisters Teresa and Helen struggle to keep their family together as dark secrets begin to surface. Is it possible that Teresa's son is involved in Alex's disappearance? This programme's on at this time, 10.45, every night this week until Thursday, when that's the final programme. Now on to Tuesday, 17th of May. 
At 8pm on ITV, Martin Clunes Islands of Australia. Martin visits Mundu Island, which is perfect for beef cattle, and crosses a 2,000-foot-long bridge to reach Phillip Island. DIY SOS is also on at 8pm, but on BBC One. Nick Knowles and his team visit Corby, and a family who are struggling to finish extensive work required on their house. Jordan, who has cerebral palsy and epilepsy, desperately wants more independence. Can the team finish the work? Derry Girls continues on Channel 4 at 9. It's Halloween and the gang secure tickets to a major gig and a chance to meet their idol, Fatboy Slim. The final episode of Derry Girls is on tomorrow at 9. On BBC Two at 9 is Floodlights, a drama about Andy Woodward, who was one of the first professional footballers to come forward with allegations of sexual abuse by Barry Bennell, his youth coach. After doing so, many more men, also victims of Bennell, spoke about their experiences, lifting the lid on a national scandal. On to Wednesday the 18th of May, so let's start with some food. In Nadia's Time to Eat, Nadia shares her tips on delicious bakes, which can be rustled up in no time. The repair shop is on BBC One at 8 tonight. A Jewish prayer book that survived a concentration camp. A radio that accompanied an Atlantic rower. A 1970s chair and a horse racing game are all on the bench for repair tonight. Now look at Sky Arts. That's on Freeview Channel 11. At 8pm is the Radio Times choice, The Prince's Master Crafters. Jim Moore, uh, otherwise known as Vic Reeves, host this programme about the master crafters that are a dying breed and how these skills can be preserved. There are no evictions, just encouragement for the amateur craft people. And the best creation of the night will adorn Highgrove House, a Prince of Wales's Cotswold home. It's the final part of Derry Girls at 9 on Channel 4. Also at 9 is DNA Family Secrets on BBC Two. Maureen from Liverpool wonders if her father was an American GI and Jackie wants to know why she survived in the concentration camp. Was her father a Nazi? There's a new Australian comedy on Channel 4 at 5 past 10. Spreadsheet. Lauren, played by Catherine Parkinson, is a lawyer and a divorced mother of two whose love life keeps spilling out of the bedroom into her home and work life. Her co-conspirator, Alex, keeps a database hence the title, of Lauren's sexual partners that never orders things as well as they'd hope. David Butcher for Radio Time says the kids in this are outnumbered good if you remember the comedy series Outnumbered. Also at 10, BBC Two is going inside number 9 with Kid Nap. That's two words. Shane and Clifford come up with a plan to abduct the wife of a hedge fund manager. Thursday the 19th of May. You can eat well for less on BBC One at 8. In this new series, Chris Babin travels to Scotland to help a family with five-year-old triplets, including Caleb, who has a brain tumour, to reduce their dependency on ready meals and protein drinks. On BBC Two at 9, The Art That Made Us examines how artists responded to the wars of the 20th century. Gordon Ramsay finds his future food star as this series concludes at 9pm on BBC One. With the final three competitors under scrutiny, who will go the extra mile and win the audience over and claim Gordon's £150,000 investment? 
Or you can watch the Taskmaster on Channel 4 at 9. Bridget Christie loses her patience whilst racking up steps on a pedometer, prancing around in the garden of the Taskmaster house, then comes up with a way to ace the task that no one else has thought of. Chivalry concludes on Channel 4 at 10. Bobby and Cameron are forced to confront each other. If you fancy a five-star film, then BBC4 has just the thing with Citizen Kane at 9pm, starring and directed by Orson Welles. What is the truth about the newspaper magnate Charles Foster Kane, and who is Rosebud, the name he spoke just before his death? Five people knew him, and each give a different account of his life. Finally to Friday the 20th of May, in Our Lives on BBC One at 7.30, is Cornwall's greatest wave. Tom Butler spends the winter waiting for wind and weather to produce a monster wave he can surf on, on the Stones, a reef two miles off the Cornish coast. On Channel 4, Richard Hammond's Crazy Contraptions is on at 8. Students from Leeds and three Spanish-born brothers take on the challenge, which will allow Richard to water plants while watching TV and without leaving his desk. Moving to BBC Two at nine, The Terror Infamy, a horror drama anthology series. In part five, the Japanese-American community is left divided after a humiliating exercise. And then in part six at 9.40, a story from the past provides the Terminals Islanders with some answers. Alternatively, there's comedy on BBC One at 9.30 in The Other One, as Valentine's Day approaches, Cathy accompanies Cat to her maths GCSE class. It's the final part of Let's Make a Love Scene on Channel 4 at 10. Rugby player Leyland stars with three single women in sequences inspired by the films Mr. And Mrs. Smith, Nine and a Half Weeks and Out of Sight, before choosing one leading lady to take on a date. Finally, the late film on ITV is The Fast and the Furious, Dominic is suspected of masterminding a number of truck hijacks. Undercover police officer Brian is assigned to infiltrate the gang, but his judgment is compromised when he falls for Dominic's sister. That's all of my selections this week. I hope you find something of interest here. TNF Soundings 